Hey, Donnie here. I wanted to tell you about Champions 90. Champions 90 isn't a workout routine or a fitness routine. This is about you transforming your life mentally, giving yourself an upgrade while you build to business freedom. Champions 90 is about you getting quiet with your thoughts, staying focused on building your business and getting you to freedom. Come join the challenge at champions90.com. guys so this one's gonna be fun and here's why you know i met cedric uh, not long ago but we've had a couple of conversations and i promise this guy has got just a hell of a story and when you talk to him you're gonna hear the passion come out what he does he i mean it's it's truly an amazing journey so i, I hope you guys really dial into this one and really understand what he's doing to impact an entire nation it's 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 pretty freaking impressive so cedric nawafar welcome to the show my friend please tell us your story so hello everyone and donnie thank you so much for having me here today oh, hell i'm yeah, excited dude. um i'm ecstatic to be on this platform um Donnie told me a few weeks ago to get on podcast, and here I am. <laughs> so. well, let's tell him that really quick. So Cedric and I were talking, and he was telling me his cool story. And I said, Cedric, dude, you got to get on podcast. Okay. People need to hear this story. And that he didn't skip a beat. He goes, well, can I come on yours? And I'm like, since you had the balls to ask that, hell yes. That was a brilliant move. So, yeah. so here we are. I like per it. Perfect, perfect. So my name is Cedric Mwapo. I'm originally from Cameroon. Um, growing up in Cameroon, we had six farms, but for those listening, and I know Donnie's audience, um, this is not your typical U.S. farms, right? You, we had like really small plots here and there. Located. Give me an idea how big the plot is. So, um, less one quarter an acre. Okay. Quarter be, acre yeah, right. yeah. A quarter an acre. Um, so, so for people that don't understand that, that mm -hmm. a quarter of an acre is just a little bit bigger than a typical house lot. Yes. Right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So we have these small farms all located all over. We walk to those farms um, quite a few miles, seven miles, sometimes eight miles, sometimes nine miles, 10 miles um, at different locations all over the, our, our community. We work hard on these farms, man. Anybody so that's. Let yeah. me ask on, on the farms. So mm -hmm. this was these were community farms. These weren't. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We we did not own them. So okay. we go to either a neighbor and ask for their land that they're not using. A friend will give us their land. We had one where our home was on, and we had a farm on it as well. Um, and this this was like tedious manual level. Um, okay. Anybody that's a now you've already yeah, had a small ahead. piece of land and and, yeah. and you got your house describe your house so i really want people to understand <laughs> so my house um there was a time in my life where my mom had owned a restaurant and she was like super affluent right at that point then she lost everything the moment she gave birth to me she lost everything like her business failed everything failed oh, and so, so it's I your fault yeah, yeah. I, I promise you it was. So I did feel that for a while, like it was my fault that she lost everything. So be, before she did that, the house that we had, we had used like, you know, dirt, right? Yep. So we had taken dirt, 
and molded brick. So it's like a mud brick house. Like if you see some movies, you'll see those types of houses, but it was incomplete. So we were adding some rooms ahead of, of, of the building and trying to make the house bigger. And then she lost everything. So we ended up with a house that looked completely incomplete at the front with like this mud bricks that is not cemented. The floor is not cemented. And then we had an interior part that was somewhat completed. And we had that for years. We never wow. fixed it. Yeah. So was there a this... roof structure over everything or? Yeah, there was a roof structure. Okay. And then we had chickens too. So we had a lot of chickens. In the house. In, <laughs> on the ceiling, on the ceiling. <laughs> so. <laughs> I so... got chickens, dude. So there's no way in hell they were letting chickens in the house, right? In the ceiling, in the ceiling of the house, on the roof, right? <laughs> so in there at night, all of them would just come and fly up. Like, is this, is this chicken, they're really strong. So they fly up and they leave in there. And then in the morning, they leave. So you imagine sleeping in a house where at night you hear them crawling and uh, walking yeah. and making noise. So <laughs> that's, that's the setup in which that house was. Um, very how, interesting how, house. How many square foot was the house, roughly? Um, the same, about 100, like about 100 square feet. Yeah. The whole house, from. so 10 foot by 10 foot? Yeah, 10 foot by 10 foot. Okay. So going wow. both sides, yeah. And how many people live there? So in my house, um, when my mother, when you had money, when we had money, there were 20 people, 30 people living in the house at the same time. Oh so, so one thing to understand in, in, in Africa is like extended family. Like when I go to, uh, when I go back home now, it's like you see your uncle, they will be like, oh yeah, do you know I carried you when you were like such a far relationship that you could never even know about it. But there is that connection, like right. everybody is family. So if you have, if you are rich, if you have money, people would want to be around your house. So at that point, it was like 20 people in the house. Then when we got broke, it's like three or four of us in the house at that point in time. Like, I'm no, out. Nobody, I'm <laughs> out. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so nobody at that point in time. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So back to the farm. So you got six yep. farms yep. That, that you had a, a little one on your land and it had to be tiny because yeah. mm-hmm. even a 10 by 10 foot home, yeah. mean, you still don't have a whole lot of land. A lot of land. It. Yep. And then mm-hmm. five other farms with farms that. In different right? locations. Yep. So that, that you were some days walking up to eight miles a day. Yes. To get to, get to some. Day. Yeah. Yeah. So imagine going, you're making walk- me feel really lazy. Said <laughs> yeah. Trust me. I, but I know anybody that's in agriculture could relate to the hard work that a farmer yeah. goes through. Anybody. So you imagine walking eight miles to the farm, walking on that farm each day, then walking eight miles back, like just carrying a bag, right? Carrying a heavy bag, either corn, maybe firewood. To come and use at home so just imagine that work well, that's the crazy thing because running my own farm yeah you know we get up we go walk out and go to the back fields and everything yeah. and then we're jumping on tractors and stuff yep. you, know, nah. you know so uh there's a some manual labor you know mm-hmm. when we gotta take down trees and mm-hmm. everything you guys i'm assuming are out there with freaking pickaxes and hoes yep. and yeah poles so you're walking eight miles yep Digging in the freaking dirt, planting yep. shit, cleaning, mm-hmm. and then slinging probably a 40 to 60 pound bag over your shoulder. Yep. yep. And walking that damn thing back eight home. miles back. Yeah. Yep. You're a better man than I. How old <laughs> were you when you did this? <laughs> so I was, we started um, really doing farming around eight, when I was eight or nine years old, and did that for a while. Well, I eight was, years old, you didn't know any better, right? So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
you were like, oh, that's just what you do. So, yeah. Okay. All right. And, All right. And, and growing up then, I, 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 like after when you go to that farm, come back on that journey back when you're carrying a heavy bag on your head and if your neck is paining, your chest is paining, your legs are paining, but you know you have to make it home because either everybody is ahead of you or they'll catch up with you and get home before you do. Um, man, it, it used to be painful. Like I used to carry it and I'm crying, not because I'm crying for anybody or anybody, like because somebody has done something wrong to me because right. it's just what we do, right? Yeah. I'm just crying because I've been paid. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I regularly, you know, like to feed the animals. I'll mm-hmm. go to the feed store and, you know, we're buying 50 pound bags of feed yeah just perspective i load it in the back of my truck and i'll have you know 10 to 20 feed bags back there yeah 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 and then yeah. i'll pull up to the barn and i can back right to the barn and but, I'm yeah 50 to 100 pound bags mm-hmm. i can't imagine carrying that for eight miles yeah yeah one so, bag like, you know I, <laughs> <laughs> that's so insane. when you when 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 i'm carrying this bag in my mind i'm like man we work so hard we put in all of this work but there were still days when we will go to bed, not being able to guarantee our next meal. We cannot say for sure tomorrow that we're going to have something to eat. And thinking at look, looking back at even as a child, I was like, man, there has to be a better way. This is this is unjust that you have to work this hard, and the system will not allow you to be successful or to have enough food to eat. So literally, you guys were selling corn, firewood whatever you guys could to make money. Yeah. If you didn't yep. sell, you didn't eat. Yes. If you no, if, if you do not produce enough, you didn't eat. So we did not even get to the level of produce, producing enough to sell, right? We were trying wow. to produce enough to eat. I, so, I can't. So, because if you don't produce enough crops, it's just like farms here. Yep. Um, and chopping down firewood. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a, that's a big job. Yep. How, and because I've done trees, man, trees mm-hmm. will whoop your ass like nobody's business. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah, 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 you know, yeah. And I'm using chainsaws and I'm mm-hmm. streaming. You guys are using like axes. Yep, and stuff, axes you know? yep. Which I'm telling you, you're a better man than I, even if you're doing it as a kid. <laughs> um, how many trees would you, I mean, because so in, in the States, we deal in cords. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so like a half a cord is a bed of a pickup truck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just so people get perspective. How much mm-hmm. firewood did you guys have to put together to be able to sell yeah. it? So we we did, we needed that firewood for ourselves. Okay, so, so that we was have for yeah yeah we needed it for ourselves, and this is not our land, right? You don't come to somebody's land and, and cut chop trees down their trees and chop down, and chop down their trees like yeah. you're in trouble. So yeah. we wait. What we'll do is we'll go to a forest and start picking the ones that have fallen. Fallen down, right? Yep. Yeah. So like those branches that have fallen, not the whole tree, just the branches. You pick it up. You. You put it all together, you tie it up as hard as you can and as big as you can and possibly as much as you can carry as well and then carry it home. So that is, yeah. Insane, man. Yeah. So that was was what we went through. And to myself, I'm thinking like, there is no way you work as hard as we did and then still not being able to guarantee your next meal. Like that's why it was even more painful. Yeah. Because it would have been exciting if I was going home to some chicken or something else. But going back home when you're still thinking that, hey, I may not eat tomorrow, it's tough. So along the way, my mom, this Cameroon, comes to the U.S. 
Um, now, how did you guys scrape the funds together to do that? <laughs> um, it, whenever you have the opportunity to come to the US, you turn every single stone. You borrow the money, you ask from neighbors, you ask from family members, you come, you know that you will come over here, you, you'll be able to, you have the opportunity to walk it back and provide back home right. and pay back the, the debt. So it was literally, you, you got the opportunity and there was nothing stopping you from making no. that happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My, my mom had the opportunity, so I was still back home. Um, oh, so she had to go by herself and leave Yeah, so she had to wow. go by herself, yeah. So she left. Um, That's tough. Sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she left, puts me in a boarding school. And I will tell you stories about the boarding school, right? So he puts me in the boarding, in the boarding school and then comes to the U.S. During the holidays, I'll go and stay with different family members. And while at the boarding school, yeah, interesting. Um, the 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 home, like it, it, let me first of all set the scene. It was a beautiful school, like just the vegetation, the greens, and everything. The fact that you're also like in solitude, right? Right, you're not close to the city. I think those were some of the formative years for me, where. <laughs> you had the time to go and sit quietly. There was no technology, no phones in school. Right. Um, but the one thing, man, that school was nothing short of prison. So when, for, for context again, when I tell you this is done, when I say boarding school, don't put it in what you think about boarding school in, in, in the America. US, right? Yeah, it's, it's far from it. So this is where they send the stubborn kids to go and get discipline. <laughs> so, so if you, if you, this is stubborn, where I would have went to school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where you're lucky. The military took you. Right. The military, the military took you and did did that for you. So that that would have been my own. Nothing compared to what you went through, but that would have been my own military training going through that school, right? So, um, the hunger that I felt in that place was unimaginable, right? Um, Why? Yeah. Oh man. So the amount of food, first of all, is small. We have three meals, but the amount of food is very, very tiny and meager. Um, it's not enough to carry you through to the next meal. So when you eat, so imagine that consistent hunger when you are never full continuously for like two, three weeks, four weeks, a month, three months. So you're always hungry. And over time. Well, that's very similar to boot camp, just so you know. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> there's never so you, enough food. Yeah, there's never enough food. So you get, you keep getting hungry and you're always hungry. So when you come, you have food, but then down the line, it finishes because your parents will not keep sending you things um, or supplying you what you need. So um, throughout that time, man, I experienced so much hunger. I ate, you know, oranges, right? The peelings. Yeah. So somebody will eat an orange, and then the, the peelings out of that orange, they will throw it away. I will find it and eat, like eat it, eat it until just the green part, <laughs> just the green part of that, <laughs> of that orange. That portion, I kind of, because you know, I, I, when when you're in the in that situation where there's hunger, you don't care, yeah. right? You know, yeah. um, you're just gonna try and get your hands on anything you can get yep. your hands on. Yes, you know? so, absolutely, yeah. And then you get on, like people will eat uh, at night and then there'll be scraps of food on the table. I will come and clean it up the next day and, and eat it. Um, I will go to the local farmers in that community and beg for food. Like, hey, you got, you got, 
they don't even have much, but they, they and, and that's one thing. People that struggle together on the, like have developed a bond. Like right. these people will still take the little that they have and still give me as a student. Um, they don't have much, but they were still giving. So I grew through up like, and one of the biggest revelations that I got from that school is when I went throughout all of that, my classmates went through the same things. And I had a judgment of each of them. Each of them, I felt like, hey, that guy is a thief. This guy is very selfish. The other person is a liar. And then we graduate. After high school, we go back home. And the guy that I thought, this guy is really selfish. This guy paid my transport to go back home, right? Mm. Like this guy never gave anything to anybody. And this guy is paying my transport to go back home, not because I cannot pay it. It's just because he, is, he, he wants to. And that drastically, I'm like, why did he do that? Like, what has changed? And then another guy that was a liar um, started telling, that was, that was a thief, started telling us about the things that he was stealing. So I'm experiencing within my classmates a 360 degree change in their lives. And I'm like, nothing has changed. It's not been that long. All what we've done is come back home. Why am I seeing these people becoming different people? And the only thing that I could figure out was, we were now home with our families and at least we could get somewhat enough food to eat. Mm. So for me, it's like, imagine what that lack of food, that hunger is creating in people. It's creating this ill, this, this, this continuous search for more accumulation of more selfishness, theft, corruption in, in, in us because we are always hungry and we don't have enough. Well, yeah, and, and when you're hungry, you're going to do stupid things to try yep. and get food. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and now you take that, you put it in a kid, right? A kid that grows up and every day they, they're hungry. They want, they're finding food to eat. What they, when they find food, what will they do? They will eat as much as possible. They will hoard as much as possible. And then that young man grows up to be a leader. There is nothing else that he will do. He has to be corrupt. All what yeah. he has known in his life is that, I, I, I need to hustle. I need yeah. to steal. I need to keep as much as possible for myself. So then we build a society of hungry people, regardless of where you end up being, of corrupt people, of right. thieves. So for me, my philosophy in life is if we can provide everybody their food, then we can talk about education. Then we can talk about um, equality. Then we can talk about all of these things that we are trying to fight without really taking care of the crux of the problem. That's fine. And that's that basic need, like that basic need, like can people guarantee their food? Can they make sure that they can eat? That's, you know, it's so wild hearing it from, from my chair, right? Yeah. You know, cause yeah. I, I didn't go through it. I didn't experience it, but to wrap your head around that potentially by simply providing food, you could mm -hmm. change a country. I mean, uh, or a nation. I mean, uh, yep. that's insane. Yep. So, so now your mom comes to the States, you've graduated yep. high school, you've gotten mm -hmm. back to, you know, the farms. Yeah. What happens next? So the first thing is my mom, while I was in school, my mom applied for me because if he's, if her life is in danger, my life is in danger as a as child. So she applies for me to come as well in the U S so once I graduate, everything falls in place for me. Um, I'm, I'm, I, like, I get access to come to the US. 
Man, I had always dreamed of coming to U.S. I believe. So, so walk me through that a little bit. What, how, how did you get access to the U.S.? I mean, I understand your mom. What, I mean, what, what, what did she do originally? You go mm-hmm. from being with the opposition side of the government, mm-hmm. you know, to, to probably fearing for her life. Yeah. Run, what did she do to be able to get invited to America, if you will? So there are these organizations that are out there on the lookout and they would like to support individuals that um, have these types of challenges like, hey, my life is in danger. This is what I'm going through. So first of all, you have to document that story, right? Right. You have to have the paperwork to back it up, either the threat letters and things like that. The second piece is you need to, first of all, come into the country um, initially. So you have to find a way to come because America is not going to send Donny the, the, the soldier to come and to come and pull you out, right? Right. So you need to find out how to get into the country. So my mom got her opportunity. Like if she did not, if she did not have the opportunity to come to the US, she would have figured out how to stay and still be in the challenges and her life would have been in danger in Cameroon. Right. So she eventually was able to come because one of her friends that, that was well connected was already in the U.S., was like, hey, come and help me with babysitting. So when she saw the opportunity to come in and babysit, she was like, hey, this is my opportunity. I have to come in. And once you come in, it's easier within the U.S. to reach out to places like the International Rescue Committee and all of these other organizations and tell them like, hey, even though I'm here for babysitting, but back home, my life is in danger. Like, you guys have to help me. Right. So that's how she gets she gets here. So for me, it's now a matter of, hey, I have my child. There, there's a form that you fill in. I have my child, provide the documentation. You do the blood work sometimes, like they'll check DNA. Just to make sure it's a... Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is your child and they'll, 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 they'll get you over. But my there is also something that happens in that journey, right? So I've always dreamt of coming to the US. When I thought about the US, in my mind, there were four things. I'll either be LeBron James, Jersey, or 50 Cent, right? So coming LeBron James, Jay-Z, Jay-Z or 50 Cent. 50 Cent. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So can you even the, rap? Uh, no, no, no. Did you play basketball? <laughs> I played basketball, but I was I thought I was good back then, but I was horrible when I made you, it to the US. Because you were a farmer trying to play basketball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> awesome. so so I'm coming to the US and um, in my mind, that's those are the things that I'm going to become. And of course I dress like it, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm wearing a big t-shirt that goes all the way to my knee, some Timberland boots. Wait, how big... old are you at this point? How old are you? I'm, I'm 20, I'm exactly 20, okay. 20 years old. Yeah, so a big t-shirt, a big like pants that has like all of these logos, like the All-Star NBA, like all of these logos of the basketball teams, all of them on that pants some big shoes, some, some shoes that were this long, like super long. So the so people were looking at you like you got two heads, man. No, so watch out, want to see what happened. So I leave from there and I'm, and I'm heading to, and I'm going through the airport and every security point down in there checking me. Like people are passing, right? People are passing through, but every single checkpoint, they will stop me. And the whole time I'm like, what's going on? Like, why are they stopping just me? Like, I cannot, I cannot comprehend why they're stopping me. When I, oh, first of all, in the plane, man, I tried plain food and it almost gave me a heart attack. So 
I'm like, is this how food tastes in America? I'm finished. Like, I thought I, I was wrong. Because running. of salt or, or what? Plain food. I don't know which airline it was, but the food was horrible. Well, like, it's plain food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was horrible. So I'm so terrified. Like, you are trying uh, yeah. to perform. Like, this is going to be the best thing ever. And then you got to eat plain food. All right. Yeah. I thought I was running away from hunger. Then they give me plain food. Oh my God! I'm like, is this welcome how to America? Eat yeah, welcome. Yep. I'm like, I'm I'm never running away from hunger. Like, if this is how chicken is going to taste in America, then I'm finished. So, 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 I finally make it to the U.S. I land in Dallas Airport, and um, man, it was they they kept me there for a few hours, right? They checking me, and it was right when you remember this guy that had a bomb from Nigeria in their shoe, like oh, somebody yeah, was the shoe bomber. Yep, yep. Yeah. So I was coming in at that point with those big shoes, dressed like that, <laughs> right in the middle of you somebody. Had a big target on your chest. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they're stopping me everywhere at the airport. They checking all my bags. My family is outside waiting for me. And I'm still, I'm, I'm, I'm in there for hours because they're checking like, who is this guy? And they did something there that I never figured out until three years later. So they flagged my, my name on the system. Like that dressing, the way I was dressed, I could promise you cost me about two months of my life. So when I came to the US and every time I go to NBA, um, it's, it's, I have to go. I will stand in line for three hours, get my turn. And then they will run the system and the system will tell them that they need to contact um, USCIS, so the, the immigration people, they need to contact them for them to confirm that it's okay for them to give me whatever I need from MBA. So I need to come back in two or three days. And what, so, what, I will, so, so what's MBA? MBA is the DMV or everybody call it DMV. Okay, DMV. Okay, 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 yep. okay, okay. Okay. So every time I go there for whatever, because you I, were flagged yes, as a potential flagged. terrorist threat or yep. whatever else, right? Yep. Wow. So every time, so I have to go back and come another day. So I will go, come back, stand in line for three hours, then present my document. If I, if there is an error in my document, or if I need to you do something to else, to I have to go back and then start that process again. Well, that's just the driver's license office everywhere in the U.S., and that that happens to everybody. I mean, I grant so, you were you were flagged worse than most, but that's so, every DMV there is. I know, I know. So every time they have to check, they have to check on me every time. So that thing took me a lot of time, just the way I was dressed coming into the U.S. So I get to the airport. And I get in the car, and my my um, my brother in my brother in law picks me up, and um, we start driving. And all of a sudden, I hear this lady. Right, this lady is telling is um is is telling my uncle like turn left in three point five miles, turn right. I, I I tried looking outside like, yo. <laughs> Okay. Is this? <laughs> you never heard shit like that before. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I'm like, is this lady in the sky? Like, I'm not. I'm not driving in this country. God, is that you? I know, right? I'm like, there's no way I'm driving in this country. Like, and he knows. Ex- they know. The lady knows exactly what lane my uncle is or is on. And I'm like, man. Like, look at the number of lanes that are on the road. Like, how is that car not hitting the other car? And in my mind, I'm like, there's no way. I'm never doing this. What if I go left when that lady told me to go right? Is the police going to come for me? 
So, <laughs> dude, this is like you, you know, for the, the rest of us, that's like you've been in a coma for 20 years. Yeah. Woke up in the future. I mean, <laughs> yeah, this is 2010 and, and right. GPS was everywhere in the US. Right. right, right. And in my mind, I, it's, it's something that's just brand new to me and I'm terrified. So <laughs> I, I finally made it home. Um, over time, I've learned about GPS and all of those things, and it's still ridiculous. I was gonna say, to me. does it still scare you? No, no, no. Because so next now, time we're in a group meeting, I'm just gonna turn on the GPS voice and see what happens. So, yeah. So over time, I I'm still shocked that that was 2010, and I was clueless about what a GPS was. That's so awesome. I come to the US, man. I spend imagine what I was imagining, uh, what I thought. I'm coming to be Jay-Z or 50 Cent. And then the real America hits me, right? I see the America on TV, on MTV and all of that. And then I see the real America where it's like, there is, at that point, at that point in my life, I'm like, there's, I'm, I don't see the opportunities. I see people having fun. I see people successful, but it's not happening. Like I'm not picking money on trees. Right. Money is not coming out from the wall. Like I thought I, I used to see on TV, like what's going on? six months at home doing nothing like almost depressed so right because you're in the u.s and, and yep if all you've seen on tv is and now you're you're thinking well shit money both just supposed to show up yeah 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 so why is it not showing up so i eventually i started like calling around reaching out to people making friends um reached out to this organization called the international rescue committee they they first of all taught me how to what, what cost, the definition of customer service, I did not know that that would be my career for the next, I don't know, seven to eight years. I did not even know the definition by then. So learn about customer service, learn about what it really Oh, so you're is. the guy we called when we had problems with shit. Yep, yep, right. yep, 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 <laughs> yep, yep. So, so that's, that's it. So um, I, they, they taught me about resumes and all of these things. Got me my first interview. So I started working at this restaurant called Cozy, a fast food restaurant, mixing salads. Man, I ate salads. <laughs> I, every day for like four months. It's like manna months. from heaven or something. I know, like, I know. Oh my God, there's food everywhere. Yep, they, were, they had this salad. They call it the signature salad, man. They were, I, I would make that salad each day for my break, right? They're like, you can eat any salad you want. Man, I ate that thing for continuously five months. Every day I worked. I was eating salad. And then one of the shocking things that took me also was, and, and, and it's still like for me, I cannot believe that I'm who I am. I'm in the phase or the mindset that I am in right now. It was, you work per hour? They pay you per hour? Oh my God. <laughs> I'm not carrying a 50 pound sack of yeah. firewood. You know. I, I will work for the rest of my life. Like they pay you per hour? And so, so, and then I wanted to turn around and somebody was like, no, I need to go home. They're like, they'll pay you double over time and you want to go home. Are you crazy? <laughs> so, and, and I'm making $9 an hour, right? And I know I'm living the life there and, and, and they'll pay me like, if I do overtime, $15, $16 an hour. Oh my God. I'm never so sleeping. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, how could somebody say no to that? So I'm killing myself there, walking, like anytime they need somebody, I'm there. I'm doing the dishes. Like at that point for me, it was like, man, I, I, and, and this has been a philosophy that I've held throughout everything that I do. 
Even though I have bigger goals and bigger things that I wanted to do, I've always thought that whatever job you are in right there and there, you give it your best, right? You make sure that if you are doing dishes, you are cleaning those dishes the best that you can. Like, because people always procrastinate, like, oh, when I will get that dream job, or when I will have that great title, that's when I'm going to give in my best. But no, like at that front row, I was mixing salad as fast as I could. It, when I was doing the dishes, I was doing the dishes as best as I could or as fast as I could. Cleaning the floor, I was doing it as best as I could. So I worked in that restaurant for about a year or two. Then somebody told me that there is a hotel that hires housekeeping and they're paying $18. That was like mind blowing <laughs> for me. Oh my God, I can work in a hotel that will pay me $18. So I go into that hotel. I'm like, I, ha- I, I, in my, I, I was pretty confident then. I'm like, I need to go to the front desk. I want to work in the front desk. But they're like, no, we are not hiring for front desk, but we are hiring for housekeeping. So I'm like, okay, I'll apply for housekeeping. Then I'll walk my way to the front desk. So within a year or two. So you see big goals, right? Within a year or two. Well, but I'll- I mean, <laughs> you're saying big goals, but I get it because you didn't know any better. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You know, so, so in your mind... 18 bucks an hour and mm-hmm. and i'm i'm sure there was some of the play in there that the dude at the front desk or the gal at the front desk they're in a jacket they yep. need it right yep yep you know, yep, you know, yep. They, you they're, know it. they're dressed up there's somebody yep. and yep. man that means Absolutely. i'm living the american the, dream. dream right there been wanting to change things up a little bit on how we talk about our sponsors and the people who help make this show great. So this is going to be a little bit different style of commercial. Family Fund has been supporting families of first responders for a number of years. And it all started as a idea of Stacy and Michael McGovern who are the founders of Blue Family Fund. And it's a really unique story, but instead of me telling you, hear it in Stacy's words of why they started Blue Family Fund. Because I wanted to give back, I wanted to do more. You know, we'd been so successful in our for-profit business that um, we looked at each other and we said, you know, how can we, how can we pay this forward? My husband and I, how, you know, how can we pay it back, pay it forward? My grandfather, when I was growing up, always used to tell me, you know, in life, you get what you give. And um, I'm a big believer in that. You know, what you put out there, you sometimes get back threefold. So we really just wanted to do more. We were already helping police officers, you know, with off-duty work. So how could we help the families? You know, as a family of a police officer, I understand that it's just as hard on the family as it is the actual officer. How could we do more for them um, by providing maybe scholarships for their dependents or financial aid for dependents that want to uh, pursue higher education. Stacy is one of the most humble people I know. Uh, their company, Point Blank Safety Services, has employed 200 off-duty police officers for, for several years and success on protecting the freeways, the highways, and everything else has done just Amazing things, not only for the state of Texas, but for the lives of the family officers that need additional income as they protect our lives. So for the fact that her and Michael would set up this fund to help the families in times of need, it's, it's really a, a, a beautiful thing. 
Blue Family Fund is focused on first responders and their families. And recently, Stacy and Michael were able to give a small check to a the family of a fallen police officer. He was a, a husband and a dad, and very touching uh, moment as I watched the video and presentation of the check. And you know, I, I wanted to hear from Stacy what it meant to her to be able to do that for that family. It's amazing. Um, the feel I can't I can't even describe the feeling. And then. You know, when, you know, I don't feel like it's that much money, but then when you hand it to them and they, they um, break down crying because it's just enough to maybe get them over the next hurdle or obstacle that they've got going on, um, it's, it's really a great feeling just to be able to, to do that. And the, the family you're talking about, both daughters are actually also firefighters, so they're both first responders as well. Um, so just a total first responder family and um, just to be able to give back to them and, and let them know that there are people that, that are going to remember their dad and their husband and there are people that care it's it's a really great feeling one of the things that i think is magical behind the family fund is because of the success of point blank safety services stacy and michael have set up blue family fund to where 100 percent of the donations go back to the families of first responders how we're different than maybe some other charities, how we pay all the bills for the, the nonprofit ourselves. So every single dollar donated can actually go directly to a family. So literally 100% of all donations are um, handed forward, you know, to, to either a scholarship or to a, a financial aid for a family that has lost a first responder. Blue Family Fund has been my charity of choice for a number of years now and it's truly amazing organization so if you're a fan of the show and you like the content we put out there do me a favor head over to bluefamilyfund.org and send a little financial love their way i go in housekeeping man i the laundry room the heat all of your laundry when you go to hotels guys and use it and dump it it comes down to me. So I'm the one separating it, towels, bed sheets, however you want it, taking it, putting it into the washing machine, pulling it, pulling out those bed sheets is like tough work too. Yeah. So, but it, it, it was nothing compared to the work that I had done. So when people are complaining about it, I'm like, come on, like, let's go, let's do this. <laughs> right? I'm so, bucks yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. So, but, but over time as well, as an immigrant, and this is to all immigrants, you need to sit down, especially considering where you live, like I was in DC, you need to always ground yourself back and just think about where you're from and where you are, right? You are in the capital of the world, being in Washington, DC. Like a lot of decisions that will affect the world, you are in it. You need to stop and if you're in New York and look up and look at those skyscrapers, and be like, this is what I saw on TV. And here I am right here. Right. If you don't do that, then you become complacent. Like, like me, I, I became complacent, right? I started complaining about work. Like, oh yeah, I don't want to walk this shift. I don't want to do that. But you always need to go back and, and ground yourself. If you don't do that, then you get into a, a vicious cycle where- so yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you keep like a 50 pound sack of corn in your <laughs> 
closet just so every once in a while you can hold it. It's a good brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should do that. That's a good idea to remind me where I'm coming from, right? That's a perfect idea to be like, yeah, this is what I used to carry just to, just to yeah. So I go back um, at the hotel and, and, I, and I start trying to walk my way up. But even though they gave different excuses, like, oh, yeah, you came late on some days and all of these things. I knew my supervisors did not want me to go to the front desk. Like, housekeeping did not want me to go to the front desk. One, they competing. Two, I'm a great worker. I'm cleaning the floor and all of these things. They will never appreciate you. But I, looking back now, I knew that they did not want me to go there. So one year later, when I could apply for the front desk, they're like, no, we will not recommend you. Two years later, no. Three years later, so I'm like, man, if I do not make it to the front desk, I'm finished. Like, this, that's my goal. I'm here for three years now. I'm still in housekeeping. I'm still cleaning shit. So <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, okay, let me, I, I, I was willing, I took a pay cut and decided to become a bellman because I'm like, if I am at the front desk, then they can see me and they can see me at the front desk and they would choose me to, be at, at, at the front desk because so, front desk is success. I mean, that's, yep, that's, yep. that's the thing. That's the, that's, that's the bar right there. <laughs> so, so I may, I take a pay cut um, from $18. I get to like $9, but I, since I, I was great that's at customer a pay cut. you took 50% of your entire income away. Yep. Yep. But then I, what I did not figure out was customer service, right? I am, friendly i talk to people i really want to serve like i want to bring out the joy and happiness out of people so i was going there i did not know that that was actually a pay raise because i'm going there the tips that i will be getting um the tools they're not the tools but just getting people transportation and all of these things it made up way better than i would have made in housekeeping so i took that pay cut thinking that it was a pay cut but man, it was actually a pay raise to an extent. Like I was making more than I was making in housekeeping nice. because customer service. Lesson. Yep. Yep. Customer service was everything. Like you serve people well, they want to reward you. Um, so I'm over there working as a bellman. Eventually the opportunity came and I went to the front desk <laughs> and that was like huge for me. Like it's like all of a sudden now you're you know the president of the corporation you're yeah like, yeah 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 i really <laughs> that, that first morning when you get to put the jacket on how long yeah. did you sit there and stare at the mirror and like i'm here oh like, yeah i i took my jacket went to the tailor and made sure they customized it like they, they they made it just to fit exactly the way i'm going to look everything that i dreamed of being a front desk agent so just just dreams come true at that point but while, while I was at that hotel, something happened. So people always come to hotels and I'm sure everybody does this. And you talk to a nice bellman or a front desk agent and they'll be like, oh yeah, I live here. This is what my city looks like and you should visit. I will invite you sometime, right? They always right. say that, but nobody right. ever follows through. So these farmers um, from Idaho, Idaho, right? They come, they come to the hotel and they, I, 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 I'll, I'll make this story long. How much time do we have? Daddy? We're good. We're good. We're good. I'll okay. Okay. Good. So they come to um, the hotel and um, basically they come and check in. We had just done a remodeling of the hotel. Like it was a brand new rooms, everything. And they were one of the first people that would go into a room 
that was brand new. So I did get that room and we are excited. I'm like, man, you would love this. You are one of the first people to go into this room. So they go in, we, we, and that's the first time that I learned about um, Alice in Wonderland. I never heard about it. So <laughs> like, it's like, they're like, you, somebody was, one of them was trying to tell me their name. Like my name is Dorothy. They're like Alice in Wonderland. And I'm like, no, I don't know. I, I, don't. <laughs> I don't know. They're like, oh my God, you don't know what? And, and it's just one of those things that for me, it's like, no, I shouldn't know who that is. So the, we go to the hotel and um, to their room. We open the door. I check them in. They were great people. I tell them about where I'm from and all of those things. Five minutes later, they're calling me. They call the front desk. They're like, hey, there is no closet in our room. Like you go into a hotel room and there is no closet. No closet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, no way. There is no closet in your room. Let me just walk you through the process. So the people who constructed the room had their supervisor look at the room. They supervise the room. They say, okay, this room is cleared. Housekeeping needs to come and clean it. So housekeeping comes. Housekeeping cleans the room. The housekeeping supervisor comes. They supervise the room to make sure that it was well cleaned. Then um, the managers come now and do like the hotel managers, they come and do a sweep of the room. The managers and the construction people come and look at the room to make sure that everything is set up in that room correctly, right? And nobody so, thought that there was no closet. Yeah, nobody <laughs> thought that there was a closet. So these people call me and they're like, we don't have a closet. I'm like, you're ridiculous. There's a closet in that room. Let me come and show you. I walk upstairs. And it's just a wall. There is no closet in that room. <laughs> to myself, I'm like, what just happened here? Like, we all missed that there is no closet in the room. And that just started this relationship with them. We started talking. We're talking about myself, talking about agriculture. And they're like, have you ever been to Idaho? And I'm like, no, I, but I would love to visit. They're like, when you hear Idaho, what do you think? I'm like French fries. Like I'm just thinking about man, mountains of French fries, like potatoes. That's all what I, when I think about Idaho, it's just potatoes. So they're like, you should visit sometimes. I'm like, yeah, sure. I would love to. And they leave that year. They leave, they go. A year later, they come back again and um, they met me again. I, I think I was, by that time I moved to the front desk. So they met me as a bellman. But by that time I moved to the front desk. So they're like, hey, you should come out for lunch with us, or for dinner with us. I go out for dinner. They ask me about agriculture in Africa and everything. I told them about what we did, our farms and everything. So they, um, they sat together when I went to the bathroom. They discussed. And they were like, hey, we will pay for you. We'll cover your trip to come to Idaho and come and see what like how we do agriculture over here. And I was like, oh, my God. Right. So these people, they, they pay for my flight. They figure out where I'll leave and everything. Just incredible. So I leave Maryland and I go to Idaho. Stayed with like 10 different farmers, learning about agriculture, learning about Idaho. Just beautiful. Um, because I got to see mountains as well. I've not seen mountains in a while. Coming right. from, from Cameroon, we have a lot. I got to see them in Idaho. It was just, there was some aspect of home, the farming and everything. Over, even though so different, but... There was just so much more connecting to that some somewhere that could you could never think about it that it could make you think that you were home. But I felt a lot like that in Idaho. Right. So um, I was in I was on this farm with one of the one of the farmers. His name was Andrew. Drew. 
And he was just telling me about his daily activities, what he does. And while he was doing that, there was a tractor tilling the soil. Like the tractor was just tilling the soil. And, and, and I'm watching the tractor till the soil. And within, within five minutes, it, I, it just dawned on me. I saw the space, right? How, how much it had tilled in those five minutes. I'm like, oh my God, the amount of time that five minutes was equivalent to a week's worth of work right. that my family, my entire family did in, back in Cameroon. And then I'm like, I need to figure out a way to connect these resources, this expertise, this know-how, these people. The tractor was just a symbol. Like it, was, it wasn't the tractor, it was just a symbol of like, if I could connect some of this knowledge, this expertise, this know-how right. to people in Africa, man, I could change lives. I could do so much. And not just connect them, because a lot of people do the connection, but not just connect them like that, but really connect them in a meaningful way, in a sustainable way, in a way that will be applicable to them and their situation. It would change a lot of lives. Like, like because just for example, if somebody came to my mom and told her that plant your corn in a straight row, like don't plant them haphazardly, make sure the distances are the same, this could improve your yield. Why would we not do something like that, right? Why would we not improve our yield by just knowing that a little tweak can change the way you, you grow your food? And, and so like from your perspective, I mean, uh, were you guys literally just grabbing the corn out of the sack and just throwing it on the ground and see? So this is what we'll do. Um, at the end of the season, right? We'll harvest the corn, take some of the best ones, the ones that look really good, and go back home where there is a fire, um, like the fireplace. We'll put the corn, we'll, we'll, like, because we're using firewood, right? So the way we dry the corn um, would be up in the ceiling of the kitchen, of our kitchen where we cook. So we'll take the corn, peel off the, the skin, yep. they are the cause, but we are not taking away all of the cause. We are tying, we're tying them together, like two, 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 two. All right. And then we hang them up in the ceiling with, with like we'll put a wood or a bamboo that cuts across. Then we hang the corn on there. So throughout the year, the smoke is going up and drying the corn. So it's drying the corn. That's the way we keep the corn for as long as we can. Gotcha. All right. Crazy. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's the, like so yeah. So that's what we did with 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 our corn. And in my mind, it's like if we can teach these people, if we can. It, like give people the knowledge and expertise for them to grow more, we will be able to target hunger and poverty in a, in a huge way. So from then I talked to the people in Idaho, I'm like, I need, to, I need to study agriculture. Like I had been all over the place. I had studied business at the community college. I worked at the hotel, restaurants. I'd moved around. By that time, I actually was about to go work at the Ritz Carlton at that point at another hotel. Oh, the Ritz-Carlton, gotcha. Yeah. So I am, I'm leaving from there. I'm like, I need to study agriculture. I, I'm, not a sci I'm not like the scientific guy, but I know that, okay, I could have the business mind. So I want something business and agriculture. Like I need to figure out something. So the person, in, um, in, uh, the person who, who invited me, that led, that led to all of this, his name is Rick. He's like, oh, um, I have somebody in Maryland that's in the education system. You should talk to him. So I reach out to the guy as well. The guy is like, oh, I know the recruiter for the College of Agriculture and Natural Resources. You should talk to her. So I talked to this lady, April. And April is just like, okay, so um, these are your majors. 
and then she chooses she's like if you want to do something business and agriculture maybe do um, agriculture and resource economics that's as close as you get so i go in and first and i and i register i had registered to the university of maryland before but i was rejected so i registered again they accepted me into that program so because um, nobody else wanted to take that program <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i don't know about that uh, so don't quote me there i work for the university um so um so um i take agriculture and resource economics and my first day in class i go to this professor and she's like it's an it's an agricultural entrepreneurship class and i'm like i have this idea i want to connect students, experts in the US to farming communities in Africa. Um, she asked all the students to write down what their ideas were um, and, and they can use it as a class project. And um, once they write, wrote down those ideas, he would look through them and select which idea he would like to um, have the students work on. So we then look through, everybody looks at the list He's, we submit all the ideas. I submit that idea to her. And the next day he announced a project that he had accepted that student should work on. So mine was not on that list. Mm. And I'm like, can you, like, I am coming, I registered to this school to come and work on this idea. And I'm in an entrepreneurship class where I think I would learn about how to build this idea in that class. And this lady, my first class, and this lady is like, no, you cannot use it. Like, he's like she's like, no, um, it's a nonprofit idea. So after class, immediately I'm going back to her. Um, and, and that brings up something like, and, and Donnie, you touched on this in one of our chats. It's like, whether it's nonprofit or for-profit, it's a business. Yes. Like you, yeah, you need to run it that way. You need to think about it that way. And that was one of those areas where she did not think that a nonprofit could be run as a business. So right. for her, it's just like, oh no, I want, I want a business. So I leave from there, I go into, um, into her, into it, like I leave from there, I go to her office and I'm like, hey, the only reason why I'm in this school right now is because I wanted to work on this idea. What can, what can I do for you to let me work on this idea? And she's like, um, you will have to go to class um, and pitch this idea to the whole class. Nobody was doing that. Everybody just wrote down their idea. Right. If, if two students volunteer that they will join you in this project, uh, then you can use it as your class project. But I'm going to warn you, it's going to be challenging. You may fail the class because you choose this idea because it will be hard for me to evaluate you. So I'm like, it's the risk I'm willing to take. So I go back and the next time the class is, is held, she gives me the opportunity to pitch it. I tell whatever I thought the idea was back then. We've changed a lot <laughs> from, from whatever we, I was thinking back then. So I tell the class about the idea and everything. And for about 10 seconds, which felt like, I don't know, five years. Eternity, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, nobody was saying anything. And then all of a sudden, one person put their hand up, another person put their hand up. Um, and they decided that they want to work with me on this project. Man, I was so grateful. I was like, thank you guys, thank you for joining. And then I had I had the opportunity to work on work on the project. But from there, I thought that was the bigger the big step. The challenge is continuous. So and and I think Donnie, you quoted this to Chad actually. So you made this quote to Chad, and then Chad shared it with me. Like if you cannot um, 
articulate your vision for other people to see it, then nobody would rise up to help you. Yep, exactly. I don't know if, yeah, is that is that what happened? So you yeah. said this to, to Chad, I network with Chad, and then Chad shares it with me, and I'm sharing it now with, <laughs> with him. <laughs> yeah, so, so everybody hears it. What I told him was simply this, is if you can't articulate your vision, nobody else will help you build it. Yep. Right? Because yep. because then it's only yours and nobody else can wrap their head around it. Yep. So 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 now you're going to school. You're yep. you're learning how to turn this into a nonprofit business mm -hmm. or something. And the entire idea mm -hmm. is wrapped around how do you take the knowledge of agriculture from the US yep. back home to Cameroon mm -hmm. um, and teach these farmers this skill set so they can actually not have chickens living on the roof. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's the best. That's the best way to put it. Yeah. Right. So I, um, I'm going around campus like trying to explain this to people. Man, it was tough. Nobody understood. Like even my teammate did not understand like what we were actually doing. So I would go into like a, the, like a business office and I'm talking to a mentor or somebody. And I'll be like, so yeah, so this is the idea. I want to do this. I want to connect these farmers. I will do it like this. But at the end of it, the person will turn around and ask me like, so what does the app really do? And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> it's not an app. I did not say app. Who said app in this conversation? Like I, I have not mentioned app one time, but it was during this app boom, right? This, right. this space where so many people were making apps. So whenever you talk to somebody, they create that conception. And at back then I was frustrated, but back to your statement, it's like I have, I was not communicating my vision and the idea that I wanted well enough. Right. So I pulled back from some of those conversations because people were not um, comprehending like what I was doing. And I took like the summer, just honing in like, what is it, what is it exactly that we are doing with Woods Africa? Uh, we've improved, but I think we could do a better job. Like, I think we could do a lot more. Like, and I think it's not something that ends somewhere. I think it's just, it's a continuous process of like, how am I communicating my, my message to the people that I want them to hear? Like, how am I communicating with students and all of those things? Nice. So from then on, um, I kept on the process. Every class that I was going into, if there was a project, I'm using Roots Africa. Like my education was, was fun. I was not your typical student. Uh, one, I was already older. Um, and then two, I was using a project in class that I'm passionate about. Yeah. So, so, and that, so that's everything is you were yeah. actually going through school doing something that you really wanted to build. Yep, yep, yep. So like throughout, that's what I was doing. But still yet, I was facing this challenge of like telling people what I really was doing. So finally, I moved into this office. Um, I walked into one of these offices, and it was all about knocking on doors, right? Like sending emails for me is, is good, but when you knock on somebody's door, they give you the best answers. Like they, they right. will say yes to things that they will refuse on emails. They will schedule other meetings with you. They will connect with you. They will reach out again if you knock on their door. So for me, it's like, why should I send you an email when you are sitting in your office and you're bored? So. Smart. I'm, I'm just knocking on doors at, at the university. If I see somebody that I need to talk to, I'm knocking on your door. Probably you want to talk to me because one, students don't do that. Um, two, it's like, you, what, what, what are you doing sitting in your office for eight hours? Whatever you're working on, you, have, you should be able to give away eight minutes and just talk to right. a student. 
Right. So I'm just knocking on different doors. And finally, I knocked on this office door and this guy puts me down. His name is Dr. Uh, Wei. And he's like, okay, I'm able to help you, but you have to like, yes, I could see that you have the drive, you have the determination to do this, but it's not sustainable. How, how are you going to make sure that it works? Um, and I said, whatever I said, I don't remember what I said I'm going to do. Um, but hold something but, out of your ass, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I told him why I thought it was going to work. Um, and he he decides that hey, you we can house you. Um, you can say you work from the office of international programs in agriculture. Um, so that gave, gave us some level of credibility. Then at the school, they had this thing called the Do Good Institute. Um, uh, they had the Do Good the Institute. Do good, yeah, do good, do good institute. So I apply, they, they have this thing also called the mini grant. It's $500 that you can take it and apply for like whatever good you want to do either on campus or off campus. So I apply for this thing, um, send in an application. They call me for an interview, go in for the interview. And after the interview, I knew that it was not going to go well, that they, they will not give me this money. So for me, I'm like, no way, I, I cannot lose this, right? I don't even need the money, but I needed that name. Like I needed that credibility. Mm. So I emailed them like, Hey, you guys have to give me something. Like you have to give me something. I like, because I think this would be helpful for my organization or what I'm trying to build. So at that point I had brought a group of students together in the U S um, from the student club. Um, I had created a partnership in Liberia and uh, we were video conferencing with those students. So these students now in the U.S. that are sometimes the agricultural students, maybe they are not with experts in the U.S. Uh, with a strong background in agriculture, are video conferencing with students in Liberia, just like talking about agricultural challenges, talking about how they can address some of those. There is this knowledge sharing that is going on. So then I'm starting to build something like I'm, 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 I'm starting to feel like something is coming into fruition, right? That that. And Adonia, I'm sure you've seen this so many times, like out of thin air, something starts forming. Like that's, that's the beauty of, of yep. entrepreneurship. It's what happens so, when you start stepping forward. Yep, yep. <laughs> so I, I start seeing this like, like forming, like students video conferencing, we are video conferencing weekly. So we identified three challenges. Uh, we identified that um, um, like post habit, like, um, like pest management, like how, how are people dealing with, with pests in, on their farms? That's a huge issue for them. Um, soil health, like how, are, are, do people even test their soils? Um, can we provide opportunity for them to test their soil? And then value added agriculture. Um, everybody does not need to produce the same thing. Like if your neighbor is doing something, you can either make it better or do something else. Like you need to add value to your crop in order mm. to be successful. Right. 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 So we identified these three challenges. Um, we came up with ideas for workshops that we can go over and do it with them. We came up with ideas of, of, of programs that we can do with them. Then we start fundraising. So the students at the university started fundraising. I'm reaching out to my network, the people that I know. We end up fundraising that, that year. Um, we, fundraising, we, we fundraised almost 20,000. Wow. Like, yeah, so we fundraised $20,000 that we paid for a trip from the US for our, I think there were six students, one faculty. The college sends a photographer with us as well. Oh, nice. So they, they, they want to document it. Yep, yep. Great PR for the college. Absolutely. So six of us or eight of us in total travel over to Liberia. 
and work there with farmers. We trained like 400 farmers, soil health, value added agriculture, soil testing, did a workshop on entrepreneurship. Then we, once we're there, the students were like, hey, so we want to start a student club here. Uh, can we do it? Like, like, like the success chapters, right? The success champions chapters. So I'm like, yeah, of course you can do it. Um, start one. So they started chapter. That was not part of our model. Right. Little did I know that them pushing us to do that is exactly what the future of our organization was going to be eventually. Right. So they just started this chapter. The first few years, we were not really serious with them because when we came back to the US, I, we, started, um, we started working on um, the class. Like I was like, students learn so much throughout this process. They, they need credit for this. So we worked on a class, the class got approved. Um, I was co-instructing that along with another faculty, um, co-instructing the class with them. So, but, but throughout that- so Here's what I didn't hear. How did you go from being a student to faculty? Yep. <laughs> so that's, that's the thing, right? I, I, I became like the entrepreneur guy in college, like okay. in my college, in the College of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Because this kid that came in with this ridiculous idea was able to fundraise $20,000, travel with students to Africa, come back with them, and impact the lives of farmers. I still had a bachelor's, but I had a program that if you were to institute it within a college, it's, it would be so valuable for students, right? Nope. Students going through the process. Imagine going through a class where you are chatting with people in another country, solving challenges, and then traveling to that uh, place to implement those solutions right so i work with this lady um, she's incredible um, we build a, a syllables around this so if if i if i know the program hand in, hands down um, we build the syllables um, i've done it before then i deserve to teach it so right <laughs> so that, that's how from from an undergrad before even like i i finished with my bachelor's um i could i, I they, they were like okay we'll, we'll bring you in and you will teach this class with a long co-instruct i could not teach it by myself of course right. so I, I had to co-instruct the class so um that's how i moved from being a yeah. an undergrad and then started teaching a class Very so cool. but throughout that process and then that was another thing about goals as well that that was a dream for me like i was like oh my god if we could teach this as a class that would be that would change this organization it would change everything but again um life just proved me wrong like i went through that process and i'm like this is too academic like this is not this is not what i was thinking about when i thought that this was going to work out like this is about reading papers and it, it's still it's still creating impact but for me i want impact i want to see right. that i'm changing people's lives so I leave the class. I, I'm, I, I, the next year, I'm like, no, I cannot teach it. The faculty can take care of it. She's doing a phenomenal job with it right now. Um, I leave the class and I focus on Roots Africa. On the other hand, that student club is blossoming. Like they're doing incredible work. They are um, on, uh, back in Liberia. They've, they've come up with this project that they're producing compost. Um, compost is manure or fertilizers, organic fertilizers. So they're making compost um like the real like they're doing it very well like black gold yes absolutely so they're making good compost because this is like a missionary school so they've learned about all of the science around composting and all, all that and they've 
come into agreement with their with their school like if we make this compost you guys should buy it so they produce that compost sell it to their school or sell it to local farmers take the money from there and teach high school students about agriculture or show them that agriculture could be a way of life so this is an example of what a sustainable project is so all what we did was provide them with some of the equipment that they needed provided them with some of the money to start at least or build the structure and provided them with guidance. Nice. And these people are taking charge of like their project and they are executing it. They are not, they don't have enough money to fund the high school program, but the fact that they are taking their own steps to put some aspect of sustainability in that program is what a lot of international development programs are missing, right? right. They go in, they think that they have all the solutions. For us, we are like, no, we don't. And we don't want to be the saviors and we don't want to come in and show you how to do things. What do you know? What do you have? And how can we help you amplify that? And that's what we did for those, for those students. And that's why one of the things that really set us apart is the video conferencing, right? These students are talking with each other. We are not making any assumptions. There is miscommunication. There's so many things that will be lost in translation, but we, with that video conferencing, we are able to identify those. So by the time my students are traveling over to Liberia or Uganda, they know what they're going to do on the ground. And right now during COVID, we are good. Like we don't have any issues. We are video conferencing and our students are working on the ground. Right. Like it's, 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 it's actually working out really well for us right now. Like it's, it's the impact that we are making right now, we have not made in a long time. That's awesome. So now, through this crazy ass ride, you've built mm -hmm. this organization called Roots Africa. Yep. And you're literally going in and teaching these guys how to better do their farms mm -hmm. so they can take care of their families, live better, and actually get enough food in their stomachs. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yep. And then I know because you and I have talked mm -hmm. um, that you've develop you know some programs and things so other yeah. people can help you out with this walk us through that yeah okay so now we i'll tell you guys first about what we did when COVID hit right so i had so first we have chapters in uganda and liberia we started two new chapters in uganda added another chapter in liberia and we had this group of students that were ready to travel we had done the video conferencing we were ready to travel over to liberia to implement and then boom, COVID hit. Right. First week, I'm like, no way, this thing is not affecting us. We are not really a part of the school. So the school can stop theirs. We don't need to stop. <laughs> and like things just start crumbling after yeah. that. It's like, oh my God, like this, we're not really traveling. At one point I'm like, okay, I will travel by myself. Then but, like places started closing up here and there. I'm like, oh my God, even me, I'm not traveling. <laughs> so, so, um, and, and we had a few options. Um, we had we could either just sit and wait for everything to clear out and um, tell our students like hey hold on no programs right now um, because even schools in africa were closed so we could just sit and wait but then we started hearing these stories like our students are struggling the country is closed the farmers are struggling the people that we work with are struggling and then you will see some people post on social media like hey all of this international development organization is really interesting that you guys have all pulled out right now when we needed the help the most. Like you were there when it was bad, but now it's worse. 
Right. So you guys are pulled out right now. And I'm like, I don't want to be one of those organizations that are pulled out. So we decided initially we're like, as a student, I, I reached out to the student club back then they had about $2,000 in their account. And I'm like, let's just give that 2000 to our students because we had estimated first, first we started video conferencing again. We are like, no, we are not abandoning you. What can we do right now as an organization, as a student club to support you? And the conversation keeps going on. Like we are talking for hours and it's still not, we are not coming up with something concrete because as farmers and Donnie, you know this and entrepreneurs, you're always thinking 10 years, five years from now. So you're right. not thinking like, I need to survive now, it's COVID. And right. there is no market. Like everybody's like, oh, let's train how to do, how to plan these, let's do this. I'm like, no, guys, like these are the African students giving this recommendation. I'm like, right now you need to survive. And so what can we do today that will help you on the ground? And um, finally, we came up with the idea. We were like, at this point in time, nobody can make the best decision for a farmer or a student in Africa than that student themselves. Right. So for us, we're like, okay, what can we do? Um, how much of a difference do we want to make? What can, what can $5 do to somebody in, in, in a local community in Africa? So we estimated that $5 could get their bare necessity for a week. So what if we can do that for four weeks where they can get some rice, soap, all of these things that they need mm -hmm. that are essential for them. So we're like for $20, we get to help a family stay home, um, provide for their bare necessities for four weeks. We need to do a campaign like $20 is 2000 is not enough. So we reach out, we, 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 first of all, the first thing that our calculation was this, if we give, if each of our students, so if 20 of our students reach out to 20 people in their network and ask them to donate $20, we automatically make 8,000, almost 10,000. Like that's, that's just the multi multiplication effect. Like 20 students reach out to 20 people, we make almost 10,000. And if we can, pick up here and there, talk to a few people, we can find matching grants, we can get to 20,000. And with 20,000, we get to help 1,000 farmers. Mm. Like, for me, that kept me up. Like, I'm like, I get to help 1,000 farmers, <laughs> like keep 1,000 people. And when you talk 1,000 farmers, you're talking about 1,000 families. So, and each family has about four to five kids, right? Mm. So now you're talking about helping thousands of people. Like, can you, like, just to comprehend, uh, like, how that, the amount of satisfaction that will come from that? Oh, like, I mean, well, I mean, two things that keep going through mind. So, mm -hmm. so one is, it's only 20 bucks. Yes. Right? right? So, so, I mean, 20 bucks won't pay for my cocktails during a happy hour somewhere. Yep. You know, yep. Um, uh, let alone you know, start thinking about what it costs for me, my family, the farm, mm -hmm. you know, to survive a month. Yep. And luckily we're in a spot we don't necessarily <laughs> worry about surviving, but yeah. you know, I mean, but just perspective. And now you're, you've found out that $20 going to a family, you know, over there can literally provide them the bare necessities, but they get to live. Yes. For four weeks. For four weeks, that's that's crazy. Yeah, just insane. 
so now it's like man i i we started hustling like our students are reaching out we are creating all of these campaigns we launched a campaign um generous people out there during a pandemic i know like working in hotels my friends are struggling but all of them are just chipping in like they're chipping in 20 dollars here 20 dollars there we get to 10,000. we find matching donations and all of that we get to 20. And we've done that. We That's distributed awesome. that to families all across uh, Liberia and Uganda. That's and so awesome. So that 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 was like one of the ways that we just pivoted and and made sure that and that has built some some sort of community for us, right? These yep. students they know like, hey, no, if it, if if push comes to shove, we got their back. And right. the same way now the reverse now should be true, where if push comes to shove for us in other aspects, even if it's not true money. They got our back. Right. So that was huge for us. Like it was a huge opportunity for us to build a community around those students and around the people that we work with. Not so that's the first thing. Yeah. Beautiful. So I know. <laughs> so now we we start talking to um to our students. We're like, okay, we've done this campaign. Um, we started in June. Um, the distribution ran all the way to um to almost last month because Facebook take forever to send your money to you. Right. Um, so, so, so um, we, we finished, we learned, we, we run the campaign and then now we, we are like, all of our students are spread all over the, the country. All of our students are in different parts now, their schools are still closed, but how can we still make a difference? Because initially they have to work as a group, as a student club, design programs together. Then we see this group of students who had started um, doing uh, community work, like just reaching out to farmers, teaching them how to do gardens in their backyard, training them on innovative agriculture um, and all of these things. And uh, we are like, oh, they reach out now to me and they're like, hey, so we need your help. We want to help these farmers. We really need your help. And I'm like, oh yeah, we can help you. Like I can reach out to experts in right. the US. I can reach out to people here to give you more training virtually for you to do more. But if I can do it for you, then I could do it for like 10 other students. Oh no, I could do it for a thousand. Oh wow, I could do it for a lot of students <laughs> that, to help them to be change agents in their community. So what, what, this is the opportunity here. I'm telling everybody my trade secret in non <laughs> So <laughs> this is the opportunity that exists, right? Over the years, the US, all of these other countries have invested in African agriculture, in agricultural schools. The government, they've tried their best as well. They've invested in agricultural schools. They've trained these students. These students have the knowledge. They have a, a good in-depth understanding and expertise of agriculture. But still yet, they don't see the opportunities or they don't have the channels to focus those opportunities. Right. So they're there and they're going through school and they have all of this knowledge. Whereas in Africa, I, I, don't quote me on this, but it's something pretty close to this, like one farmer, one extension agent serves 1,000 farmers, one extension agent serving 1,000 farmers. How do you take care of those, that type of number? So um, we have students over here who have the knowledge and they're hungry to serve. And we have extension agents that are scarce to see in any country. So for me, it's like, what if I can train these students, give them the communication tools, give them the, the transportation tools and send them out to their community and ask them 
to train 10 farmers, just 10. So asking each of these students, like go out and train 10 farmers. I will teach you about monitoring and evaluation. I will teach you leadership. I will help you with transportation and I will help you with communication. And you need to train 10 farmers. I know they'll do more, right? But right. I'm just saying train 10. Right. And it will cost me, it will cost me $50 to provide you with all of those things. <laughs> it will cost me $50. So it cost me $50 to provide you with those tools to become a change maker in your community and you help 10 farmers. Man, I can, in a virtual world, I can train a lot of you. So imagine all of these agricultural students with this knowledge and now with the structure, with the monitoring system in place, with the knowledge and the experts guiding them, going out in their communities and training 10 farmers each. That's, that's brilliant. So you're literally training the students there to go mm -hmm. out and teach the farmers. Yep. Freaking brilliant. Yep. Anything that they don't know, I have experts here. Um, right. At the university, we have extension agents. Donnie, your network, we can tap into people like that, like people that have that background to be like, hey, train this student about X, Y, and Z. And they can do a webinar or a session and help and help those students. Yeah. And, and what's brilliant, because what it made me think about is you had eight farms. Yep. Right? Yeah. So you're yep. literally teaching somebody to who could go back to your family yep. you know, and teach them all how to manage all those eight farms. Yeah. You're changing lives at that point. Yep. You know. And now with the right resources, the funding and the volunteers and the people in place, I can spread that all across the continent. That's brilliant. I can literally spread that because it is scalable. All I need to do is do these rotating workshops, put the next batch, they apply, they submit videos, put the next batch through it, and we keep on going. Mm. And I could do that anywhere, anytime. Brilliant. And that changes agriculture forever. Yeah. You know, uh, it's, it's teaching the blue collar lifestyle to over there. And, and you know, that, that's who built America. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just awesome. But how do people find out about Roots Africa? So you go to roots, R-O-O-T-S dash Africa dot O-R-G. So R-O-O-T-S dot A-F-R-I-C-A dot O-R-G. Every time you say R, it sounds like arrow. I'm like, no, yeah, it's yeah. R. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. God, this is brilliant. Yeah, dude, um, you know, seriously, thank you for proving that the American dream still works. Um, yes. You know, it, it, it's... In, in times that we're going through, America's getting a, a pretty bad rap right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But we're still a pretty damn good place to live, you know? Yes. And, and, and you're, you're literally proof of it. Come here yes. and, and build the life you want. And that's just mm -hmm. pretty freaking amazing. Yeah. Well, brother, this has been a fun ride. I've enjoyed the hell. I was looking forward to telling this story. <laughs> um, uh, it, it was, it, I knew it was going to be a good one. And uh, I like being the guy that helps uh, bring some light to what you're doing. It's really, Thank really you, awesome. Thank Here's how I wrap up every one of these. Mm -hmm. And I do stump some people. So, so get mm -hmm. ready for that. If you were going to leave the listeners of this show, 187 mm -hmm. countries around the world that listen to this, mm -hmm. if you were going to leave them with a quote, a phrase, mm -hmm. a saying, a mantra, something mm -hmm. they can take with them on their journey, especially yeah. when they're stacked up against it, 
What's mm -hmm. that quote or phrase you would say? Remember this. Mm -hmm. What drives me in life is I have the audacity to believe that people everywhere could have three meals a day for their bodies, education and culture for their minds, justice, equality, and freedom for their spirit. Yeah. And I believe that that is, that's, that's a quote from MLK. And that is what we should all live by. We should believe that it's possible. And the day when we get to that, we'll have a better world for everybody. Man, I love that. Well said, my friend. <laughs> Dude, Cedric, okay. it's been my honor, brother, having you be out here. Dude, Thank you, Danny. Truly appreciate it. Uh, it's an honor for me to be here. And I really appreciate you for helping me spread the word. Absolutely, my friend. Okay. Talk to you soon. Guys, if you haven't come hung out in the Success Champions Facebook group, head on over to Facebook, type in the word Success Champions, and get your ass in there. 1,200 small business owners from around the world that are kicking ass and taking names and rising together. And then if you haven't checked out SuccessChampionsNetworking.com, we are changing the game of networking. We all know that BNI is for rookies, so it's time to up your game and come hang out with the people that are really kicking ass and opening doors for others. Don't sit around and wait for business to come to you. Partner up with some real badasses that are there to help you really grow your business. No more sitting in boring ass meetings with stupid jingles, and crap nobody cares about come learn come mastermind come hang out with the real champions that will not only champion you but they'll champion your business as well successchampionnetworking.com is where you need to be appreciate you guys and as always if somebody you know somebody who needs to listen to this show send this to them it means everything to me thanks guys talk soon love you bye Kevin and I have a lot of fun each week recording these episodes and sharing our best thoughts and ideas with you all. Man, we're just proud to, to have you guys as listeners always tuning in. And we really appreciate the messages. We get the DMs, emails, and the likes from you guys with questions and ideas for future shows. And that just means the world to us. We really are changing how the world networks. We've poured our heart and soul into Success Champions Networking and it continues to grow. So if you haven't checked out a chapter and you're looking for a mastermind group of pure, absolute badasses that understand that giving introductions are way more powerful than referrals, go to successchampionnetworking.com and request a visit. And thanks for being you. Thanks for being a champion of your success, because that's what it means to be a success champion.